Please be seated. It's a pleasure to be with you on this uh, weekend of peace. Uh, my name is Gary Mason. I'm a Methodist clergy person from Belfast. I just want to take a few moments just to weave a few thoughts around this whole concept of reaching out and engaging with the other. During 28 years of ministry, I was based literally no more than 200 meters from a peace line or an interface. There's simply Berlin-type walls, which during our conflict, and even today, still separate many Catholic and Protestant neighborhoods in Belfast. From 1992 to 1999, myself and a Catholic Dominican sister, Noreen Christian, who had spent 25 years working in South Africa in the struggle against apartheid, and on her return, we put together a space for people from both sides to come and share their story, to hear their pain, to understand their difference. And literally, if you could visualize this church with a pretty massive Berlin-type wall running up to it, that is the scene that I spent seven years. And on one occasion, someone from my side of the fence, i.e. the British Protestant Unionist Loyalist side of the fence, flung a rock through a window of a Catholic house literally just 10 meters from my church. In that house lived a little 17-year-old single parent who had a little baby, I'm guessing, about six to eight months. The rock literally missed the kid's head by inches. And I went over to apologize and to say that this didn't represent my community. And needless to say, the apology was well received. But the interesting dynamic was it was people on my own side who primarily disagreed with what I did. Their argument went such, Gary, do you not understand they are also flinging rocks at us as well? And my simple reply was, the job of a peacemaker is to stop people from both sides flinging rocks, planting bombs, and killing one another. In the passage that was read to us from James in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, there's a complete story about peace building, about being a neighbor to the other person. And to my mind, the best story of being a good neighbor is that parable that we all know, the parable called the Good Samaritan. And if you know that parable, as I guess most of us in the building do, the story begins quite graphically with a lawyer going to Jesus and it was interesting, one of the first key words that we find is that this lawyer was trying to justify himself. I often wonder how many people come to church simply to justify themselves, to justify their position, to justify their theology, their politics as against the other person. So visualize this encounter. A lawyer coming with the mindset of justifying my position. We also need to realize the context in which this story takes place. 
It takes place in a very nationalistic context. You knew the context. The Jews were oppressed by the occupier, the most mighty military machine in the first century, the Roman army. So the question was on this lawyer's mind, as it was in every person in that region in the first century. He was asking the question in a very nationalistic framework. Who is my neighbor? So it's a question about identity. I come wanting to justify my nationalistic position. I come justifying my identity against the other person's identity. And then Jesus just very simply does three to four pen portraits of people who are involved in the story. He talks about the robbers who attack the person. And then he drills down into this little grouping called the religious crowd. Two people he groups together, religious leaders, priests, and Levites, representing the religious and the ethical establishment. And surely if any people should have known the question that was being asked, it should be those people. But you know the story, neither of the religious crowd decide to stop to investigate the crisis. And we ask questions because they're human. Are they frightened? Perhaps they're just a little bit too preoccupied. Were they rushing past the injured person because of their own tragic circumstances? Were they avoiding involvement because they simply felt they were inadequate? But the most interesting person we meet that day is the person called the Samaritan. And I think in the story, the most fascinating thing about it is this that Jesus actually downplays quite profoundly what the Good Samaritan did. I think we have so lavished this story, uh, we've literally turned the Good Samaritan into some form of a 21st century superman or superwoman. He doesn't stop his journey. He doesn't take the victim back to his home for decades to offer some form of orthopedic or neurological care. He simply provides some money and asks the innkeeper to look after him for several days. So in the 21st century, how do we in this church interpret this parable? Because the question is, what person proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And what Jesus was doing was not answering the question, who is my neighbor? He turns the noun into a verb and he asks the question, who is being a neighbor? But the answer the lawyer primarily wanted was, this person belongs to the other crowd. Don't engage. So Jesus puts a totally different concept. To all of us in church today, in relation to what neighborhood and engagement in a human sphere is really about, it's not defining who your neighbor is. The question Jesus is asking pretty profoundly is, who is being a neighbor? And really, I think what we sometimes do with this uh, parable is, 
we have these almost arrogant demands for luxurious solutions that really at times make us incapable of rendering first aid with what we think is the meagered giftedness we already have in our hands. I know very few people in this church, but I assume that on leaving church today, if a person was lying injured at the side of the road, I'm assuming most of us would go to that person. I'm assuming that if someone said $300 will allow this person to be well again, I'm assuming most of us would do that. So in reality, what we have in this church today is a sizable group of people who have the capability and the ability to be good Samaritans to all the neighbors in this city in Atlanta. And I sometimes tease the American church and I say, is the American church always looking for big solutions? Was the Good Samaritan really that big a solution? Because all of us have that capability to do that today. And the key to that is getting to know the other. Some of my ministry takes me to the Middle East, and I'll be going there on October the 15th. And I work with a program called SHADE. SHADE is a Harvard program on negotiation for Israelis and Palestinians, where they spend nine months together encountering themselves in a context of learning the skills of negotiation. And then they spend a week with me in the island of Ireland between Belfast and Dublin. During the time in Belfast, they're meeting people from the IRA, from the UVF, people who are involved in political violence over that 30-year period on the island of Ireland. They meet politicians, they meet victims, they meet women's groups, they meet different people. And then the last night at the University of Maynooth, south of Dublin, where we were having a drinks reception, a young Palestinian woman came up to me and thanked me for the week. But she said to me, you know, Gary, having heard people from the Republican side, from the IRA, I, I still understand the logic of armed struggle. And I said to her, I understand why you're saying that. But let me just say, I also want you to understand the logic of your belief. And she says, tell me, what is that? And I turned to, to Jewish people to my right-hand side. Well, the logic of armed struggle is that these people who now have become your friends may eventually die. She took a sharp intake of breath. She said, I guess, Gary, I never saw it like that. Because what happened in that Palestinian woman's life and what happened in many of those Jewish participants' life was they humanized the other person. They knew longer the person in Tel Aviv or the person in Nablus or the person in Ramallah. They knew them. They knew their children. If their parents were living or dead, they knew their human story. They no longer saw them as the other. They saw them as a neighbor. And so this old story told 2,000 years ago asks us profoundly, Today, in this church, who is being a neighbor?